What craze swept Vienna in the 1700s and led many people to neglect food, work, their loved ones, and their health? Wow. Okay. Well, what time do most people die? Huh? <laughs> okay. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and the very much alive Marsha Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Okay, Marshall, what craze swept Vienna and led many people to neglect their food, their work, their loved ones, and their health in the 1700s? Wow, well, in their health, what was... Okay. Here's a hint, it's an entertainment craze. Okay, how about the hula hoop? Um, I don't know. In the 1700s. <laughs> I don't know. What were people doing in the 1700s? Okay, it was a dance craze, Marsha. Really? The waltz? The waltz, yes. Today that's considered a pretty polite conservative dance, but when it swept Vienna in the 1700s, it was considered a wild, intoxicating alternative yeah. to the minuets. Oh, you bet you could touch much closer. <laughs> so ballrooms sprang up by the dozens, open all night with rotating orchestras? No kidding. Yeah. People neglected their work. They abandoned their families. They left behind their sick. Some writers <laughs> witnessed droves of people pawning their possessions for money to dance. Wow. And many people lost fortunes. Wow. Oh, because they didn't go to work? They just abandoned everything. They were just dancing all night and all day. And then it was sort of like they shoot horses, don't they? Remember that movie yeah, years ago yeah, about the marathon dance yeah. crazes in yeah. the 30s? Yeah. People did this to make money, money. try to win yeah. prizes. Well, uh, same thing then. People lost their health when couples competed to see how many times they could whirl at top speed without stopping. Many died suddenly after the contests. This comes from the Encyclopedia of Amazing But True Facts. Well, and how long had they been dancing when they died? Just a long time, huh? At top speed without stopping, it says. Top speed? How do you waltz at top speed? Speaking of death, let's talk about your question. <laughs> that was going to be my transitional comment. Okay, Bob, there's a common time where most people die of natural causes. Give me a time span. It's between what and what. Okay, I would say... I'm going to say middle of the day. I'm just going to say you get up, you're working, and then you you keel over from uh, your heart gives up because you're you know you're working too hard out in the yard. So I'd say from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is it in the evening then? No. Oh, it is in the morning. It is. Early morning. Early morning. Oh. Which makes perfect sense to me because what do I always say? I usually say when they talk about people dying of natural causes, it's probably because they're having a terrifying dream and their heart gives out. So anyway, the answer to that question is between 4 and 5 a.m. Wow, that's when most people die of, of natural, natural causes. causes. You and I often wake up in that time span. Yeah, what does to, that mean? It used to be three, but now it's four. It's a little later. Yeah. And sometimes people get up and walk around the house and do yeah, things. Yeah, you know? well, yeah, that's a more natural thing. Let me just give you another quick one. Okay. I heard this on the, the way up here to the studio mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> on the radio. They talked about a survey, and the question was, how many times in a week does... 
the average person have dinner with their loved ones. I happen to hear about this, too. Oh. It's a recent survey, because it yeah. used to be, you know, back in the old, old days, huh? families ate every evening oh, meal together. Uh-huh. But now I think it's going down to three times a week, That's isn't exactly it? right. Wow. Three times a week. But as a kid, your family, didn't they eat together a lot? Oh, yeah, all yeah, the time. All the time. Yeah. And uh, when our kids were By small. By God, you better be there, too. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> if you were late for dinner, it was like the end of the world. It was, wasn't it? Oh, for God's sakes. Well, I got a food question. Ah, Speaking yes. of food. Let's. Where is peanut butter called peanut cheese? And <laughs> and why? Oh, <laughs> Good Lord. Well, it's not here in good old Wisconsin. I never heard of peanut cheese. Peanut cheese. They got every other kind of cheese. Now, it's the same kind of stuff we have. We call it peanut butter, but there it's called peanut cheese. Oh, it's a country? Yeah. Where is it and why? I'll give you a choice here. Finland, Singapore, Costa Rica, or the Netherlands? I will say the last one. The Netherlands? Yes. Ding, 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 ding. All right. You were right. It's called pindakas there, which Ah. means peanut cheese. Now, peanut butter is an American invention. It wasn't introduced to the Netherlands until 1948. So after World War II, the Dutch are pretty diligent about dairy, and the word butter can only be used for actual butter from milk. So they call it peanut cheese. They call that spread a peanut cheese. Okay. I mean, it's a logical reason for that, right? Very interesting. What do Australians call their version of ketchup? I'll give you three choices. Thank you. Red gravy. Tomato dressing or tomato sauce? Really? I'll say dressing. Tomato dressing. I'm sorry. You're wrong. (laughs) You're not sorry. (laughs) You love it. You don't think it's red gravy? No. Is it really? No, it's not. Oh. It's It's tomato sauce. Oh. And apparently it predates American ketchup. When Heinz went there to try to start selling ketchup, they found that people already had a condiment they used. It had tomato, sugar, and vinegar, and they called it tomato paste. Ah, and here, you know what tomato paste is in a little can? You know what that is? It's very thick stuff you make sauce out of. Okay, speaking of food, what is a square meal? Why do we use the expression, I got three good square meals a day? That's a good question. I always thought maybe the term square meant uh, straight, regimented, natural. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a square guy, you know, or that kind of a thing. Is that what it meant? No. What did it mean? In the 18th century, Bob, a British sailor's diet was pretty grim. It was mostly water and moldy bread (laughs) for breakfast and lunch. But if you're lucky, the third meal of the day might have a little bit of meat. And if you got meat, you might get it on a square tin platter. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and because of the shape of that platter, they called this the square meal of the day. Wow, So, and it was a good meal. It was great not to have the moldy bread and water. (laughs) All right, in Greece, what does the name for Greek salad translate to? Oh, in Greek. Is it simple salad, village salad, or tomato and feta salad? Well, middle one. Village salad. That's exactly what it is. Village or peasant salad. It's like, oh, it's the salad of the countryside. Ah. It's the fresh ingredient salad. Ah. It's actually called horiatagi, which ah. means peasant or village salad. I love Greek salads. Yeah, feta, cheese, uh, olive, sweet tomato, and red onion salad, known in Greece as the uh, village salad. But we do have a lot of food questions, and here is something sort of related. What famous composer, Bob, wrote the coffee cantata? 
A coffee cantata? <laughs> You'll love this. <laughs> is this a sing-along? Is that what no, a co- coffee no. cantata with speakers no. and narrators no. and everything? You'll never get this. Okay. But uh, it's a well-known... Well-known composer. Yeah. Is he a British composer or an American composer? Neither. Oh, is he a French composer? <laughs> I don't, a German uh, composer? I think so. I, I bet it's an Austrian or German composer because coffee became so big in the 1700s in Europe when it was imported from the, uh, you know, the Americas, uh-huh. yeah, like the Vienna coffee houses and all that. So I'll say it's somebody like Mozart. Okay, you're getting really close. It was Johann Bach. Ah. It's true. One of his lesser known works in English, it's called Be Still, Stop Chattering. <laughs> <laughs> Be Still, Stop Chattering. Yes, he was, oh, that's such a musical term. He wrote that in German. So in, romantic. It is. He wrote it in German in the 1730s. It's a humorous ode to coffee popularity. Hmm. It makes light of the fears at the time that coffee was an immoral beverage entirely unfit for consumption. <laughs> it makes fun of that. Yeah, but oh. why, why was it Why, was it, why a, was it immoral? Well, because it kept people awake all hours of the day and night. They were out dancing waltzes. That's why. <laughs> no, because coffee shops in Europe at the time were known to be places of boisterous conversations. Mm. And they were meeting places for, wait for it, unchaperoned young adults. Oh, no, no, not <laughs> oh, that. Yes. And they would talk about God only knows what. So you went to the coffee house. It was like going to a pub or a tavern yes, in those days. And the I mixed, didn't know mixed that. Mixed couples, boys and girls oh, would no, go. Oh, no, no. You're going to mix regular with decaffeinated <laughs> and all the different flavors all mixed together. <laughs> Lattes. <laughs> Hmm. Who knows what they were talking about, but they were worried about political plots being formed in these coffee houses. Well, that makes sense, because the coffee houses were places where politics were discussed. Well, these are boys and girls talking about... Other things than... Other things than political (laughs) plots. And this is an opera, and it tells the story of a father trying to persuade his daughter to give up her coffee addiction so she might get married. But in the end, she becomes a coffee-drinking bride. Oh, no, not one of those. Coffee-drinking bride. That's funny. She managed to have both, a husband and her coffee. Everything turned out fine. It did. Well-caffeinated marriage, (laughs) though. It was. What's the name of that again? In English, be still, stop chattering. (laughs) Be still, stop chattering. Ah, how romantic. Isn't that funny? Okay, Marsha, a geography question for you now. Oh, God. Getting away from food and coffee houses and the sin of caffeine. (laughs) What country is on the exact opposite side of the earth as Beijing, China? Just think of a globe. Yeah. You stick a pin through that globe all the way. What country would be on the exact opposite side? Now, I'll give you choices. Okay. United States, Algeria, Argentina, or Brazil. Well, I'd say the United States. Well, that's that's good, but it's not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's a new vocabulary word for you. Antipode. You Is can use what? antipode to describe any direct opposite, but in a geographical sense, it's where you'd end up if you dug a hole straight through the oh, earth okay. to the other yeah. side. Well, where is it? It's Argentina. Well, the, see, that doesn't make sense to me. Lower than you would think it would be. Digging a hole to China from your backyard only works if you're an Argentinian. In general, if you're in the northern hemisphere, the antipode is in the southern, and if you're in the western hemisphere, the antipode is in the eastern hemisphere. Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. So most of the antipodes for locations in China fall within South America. What's the antipode for almost all of the stuff here from North America? Uh, Nope. (laughs) What is it? The Indian Ocean. 
I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, so anyway, a little bit of uh, interesting uh, geography there. Tis, okay, Bob, quickly. What do Cool Whip, Pop Rocks, and Tang all have in common? They all went to the moon. Tang did, but I don't know. I don't think the other two did. You don't think Cool Whip went? What would they do? (laughs) (laughs) I got jokes there, but I'm going to let it go. Let's not talk about that. (laughs) Get your mind out of the gutter. Okay, what do you think? What do I think? Mm-hmm. What, what do, do they, they all have, in, have common? in common? Pop Rocks, Tang, and Cool Whip. Pop Rocks, Tang, and Cool Whip. Well, they all have sensations. Those Pop Rocks, those are those things you'd put in your mouth and they yeah, pop, 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 pop. Yeah, pop. they're still for sale, still popular. I don't know. What do they have in common? Well, they were all invented by the same guy. Oh, you're kidding. No, William Mitchell. He's a scientist who worked for General Foods. Huh. And he rode the post-war boom for fast food, and he had some home runs, including those three things, Cool Whip, Pop Rocks, and Tang. Wow. 70 total uh, inventions in his time. But this is cute. Do you know what the original name for Pop Rocks was? No. Gasified Confection. (laughs) And it didn't catch on with that name. So they went on to Pop Rocks, and that caught on. All right, Marsha, time for a break. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay, Marsha, I have more expressions for you. We've done fly off the handle and some of these others in recent shows. How about this one? Giving the cold shoulder. Where does that come from? What does it mean to give someone the cold shoulder? Well, you ignore them. You kind of ignore them. The original meaning of that was not quite the same. What do you think it is? Well, if you love somebody, you give them your warm shoulder to warm them up in case they're cold. But if you gave them your cold shoulder, you were not being nice. Ironically, this is another food question, (laughs) Marcia. <laughs> Back in the medieval what a times, face you had I'm sorry. Back in medieval times, whenever someone had a guest over, it was considered impolite to ask the guest to leave outright. Okay. Mm-hmm. Instead, they had a custom when the host gave the guest a piece of meat from the shoulder of pork, beef, or mutton already cold. It signaled that the dinner was over, <laughs> and the guest should get ready to leave. <laughs> So if you got the cold shoulder, well, I guess there it's time go. to go, Frank. I'll see you later, you know? What's your source on that one? Uh, common idioms and their origins is where it came from. Hmm. I have the website URL if you want to look at it. A show or two ago, Marsha, I had some famous uh, common phrases that had racist origins. Remember we talked about the tipping point and yeah. long yeah. time no see, I believe. We talked about that one. Uh, what about no can do? Where did that come from? <laughs> I just think of it as, ah, no can do, yeah. right? It actually has an origin, huh? Yeah, it kind of has a racist I origin. I was going to say, it had something to do in the Campbell's Soup Factory. No can do. <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay, tell me. It originated as a jab at non-native English speakers. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, it was likely directed at Chinese immigrants in the early 20th century. No can do. Like they had a name with three different words. Uh-huh. And they thought, well, no can do is a funny thing to say about them. And mumbo-jumbo, we always think of that as being some kind of confusing thought. Yeah. That actually originated with religious ceremonies in West Africa in the Mandinka language. The word mama-jambu described a masked dancer who participated in ceremonies. The Royal African Company clerk uh, Francis Moore transcribed the name as mumbo-jumbo in a book, Travels to the Inland Parts of Africa. So it was a kind of a term of derision for a time, mumbo-jumbo. Okay. I never thought of it coming in those those two uh, now, places. Well, here's something very... Warm? 
Similar? Topical. Different? Yes. What are the three classifications the U.S. government uses to designate how sensitive information is? Well, there's top secret. Guess the other two. There's one that's something like special designation or something like that. That's part of the top secret. There's a whole hierarchy. It's confidential, secret, and top secret. Top secret SCI is sensitive compartmentalized information, which means only a few people are allowed to even access that top secret. So, mm, mm. But that is the top. Give me another one. Okay. Who was the George in George Eliot, the famous pen name of Mary Ann Evans? Okay, yeah. This was a woman who went by the name George Eliot so she could publish because back in the day, that day, and yesterday too, <laughs> women couldn't publish anything. Because people wouldn't read something a woman wrote. Well, that's not exactly true, but it was usually considered frivolous and not considered important. So George was her father's name. No, actually, it was her married lover, her married live-in lover, George Henry Luz. Wait a minute. She had a live-in lover who was married to someone else? Correct. Oh, dear. <laughs> but it was England, honey, and they couldn't divorce them. So she, oh, that's right. right? The terrible, not, terrible, the terrible laws, laws back for years. You could not divorce anybody. They lived together and died together. In decades, they lived together. So she took his name. Yeah, his first name. a pen name. name, his first yeah. name. She wanted to avoid the stereotype of women's writing at the time. It was considered lighthearted and frivolous, and that's why she took a man's name. She also wanted to shield herself from scandal as she was an unmarried woman living with a married man, and God knows they would have ripped her apart. Hmm. But she is considered today as one of the most important Western writers of all time. One of my favorite uh, quotes is from her, it's never too late to be what you might have been. Is that what she said? I believe said? it's from her, yes. I have one here when she says it's a, a little more heavy. Light and easily broken ties are what I neither desire theoretically, nor could live for practically. Women who are satisfied with such ties do not act as I have done. They obtain what they desire and are still invited to dinner. <laughs> well, they sound a lot more fun than you do, baby. That's <laughs> well, why. But it ended funny, meaning she never got invited anywhere because she was good. But rightly so. I mean, with, she doesn't sound like a good dinner conversationalist, you oh. know. <laughs> Well, that doesn't roll off the A little too tongue. serious, you know. Yeah, they get what they desire, and they still get to go to dinner. But Marcia, she didn't. let's get serious here. What state has the fewest Starbucks locations? Oh, my God. Not a place <laughs> to retire, that's for sure. Let me give you the choices here. Okay. Okay, Rhode Island, Vermont, Hawaii, or Alaska? Well... I was going to say like one of the smallest states because it just hasn't the population. Well, you're on the right track, yeah. So New Hampshire. Well, I didn't okay. give you that as a choice. Rhode Island. I, I did. Yeah, but I, you didn't get New Hampshire. Rhode okay. Island is what I said. Okay, but it's not New Hampshire. That no. was your first choice. No, it was Rhode Island. And it's not Rhode Island. It is Alaska. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't know. You are on the right track. It is a small state. It's Vermont. Okay. You might want to avoid Vermont for your daily fix of venti caramel frappuccino because there are only eight locations to serve the state's 625,000 residents. That's all. Really? Yeah. Ah. Now, granted, it's one of the least populous states, but Wyoming, which has even fewer residents, has 23 locations throughout the state. No kidding. Well, there you go. Two other states with few Starbucks locations are West Virginia. They've got 25. New Hampshire has 29. Uh-huh. The state with the most locations? Uh, Washington. Where do you think they sure love their lattes? Washington. 
California. Oh, yes, of course. More than 2,800 oh, Starbucks stores statewide in California. Well, when we were in, uh, was it Oregon, it seemed like there were two on every corner, didn't it? That did, yeah. <laughs> or, or Seattle, Washington. Yeah. You know, that's where Starbucks started. Yeah, there, that's there right. There are like that's... two Starbucks on every corner yeah, there. that's why I said that. Okay, Bob. Very caffeinated people. <laughs> okay, Bob, how many states... Does the Appalachian Trail pass through? Oh, you know, that, I just saw that the other day. That goes through so many states because it starts in South Carolina, doesn't it? And it goes all the way up through Maine. So that's like 10 or 12 states, isn't it? I'm not going to answer this for okay, you, Okay, it's Bob. 10 or 12 states, Marsha. <laughs> no to both of those. Oh, okay. It's 14. 14 states. Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. And that is not a trail you take by car. That is a trail you hike, yeah. the Appalachian Trail. It's a trail for, for climbers and campers. That's okay. what it is. Okay. Have we been on it? No. For climbers and campers. Okay, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go, Marcia. Let's look at states of the United States. Okay. Another geography question. Mm-hmm. Now, think of the globe. Think of states of the United States. What state is almost the exact same size as England by land area? Now, I can give you two clues. I can either give you a list of names, or I can give you another clue that will get you right to where it is. Okay. One of its largest cities is named after a British industrial city. Well, that would be like a Liverpool or something. Uh, yeah, Liverpool, United States. Where the hell you find that? <laughs> <laughs> There's a London right down the road from here. But mm-hmm. That's not what's counting. But that's not an industrial site as no. much as some of the no. other cities in yes. England. Yes, yes. Uh, you have to tell me, Bob. Well, I'm going to give you the other clue now. Here are the states it could be. Okay. Delaware, Texas, New York, or Alabama. I'll say Texas. That's right, Marcia. Birmingham, Texas <laughs> is Alabama. Okay. Birmingham, Alabama well, is a you state. You didn't say it was Birmingham. I said one of the largest cities yeah. is named after a British industrial yeah. city. Yeah. Birmingham is a well-known industrial city, Sorry. both in Alabama and in the United States. I get the feeling I'm failing you as you a are companion. Failing. As a as a wife, <laughs> as a companion, as a show host. Well, okay. The uh, state of Alabama is 50,645 square miles. England is 50,337 square oh, miles. I'll be jiggered. And they both feature a notable city named Birmingham. In fact, most of the families that founded Birmingham, Alabama, came from Birmingham, England, and both of those cities were known for steel making. So I just thought that would be easy for you to figure out. Yeah, but, but not so, I guess. guess. not. Okay. Now, here's an interesting statistic. England has a population of 56 million. That's more than 10 times that of Alabama for the same square footage. Isn't wow. that amazing? Wow. 10 times the amount of people in England as in Alabama, but they're the same size. That is uh, very interesting. Is it? Hello. <laughs> Bob, early casting choices for Marlon Brando's infamous Vito Corolloni in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Who were they? Give me, you know, some early casting choices. I mean, other than him? Yeah. Who else did they think? They didn't want, uh, Coppola wanted Marlon Brando, but... Uh, the studio didn't. They did not want him. They said, no, he's disruptive. He's, he's going to be a problem. We don't want him. He wound up taking the job for a hundred thousand. Oh, was, really? Yeah, because they said don't pay him a dime over a hundred. 
Wow, that's interesting. And if he's toxic on the set, we get to get rid of him. Well, the obvious uh, substitution would have been Burl Ives. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> you know, you're not that far off oh, with no some kidding? of these choices. Okay. Give me another guess. Okay, so yeah, that's we're going back uh, 40 years. Who was around then? That Who played that uh, cop on TV and he was always saying, 10-4? What was his name? Broderick no. Crawford. Broderick Crawford. Let me see. No, he's not. Okay, who? But would? Ernest Borgnine, Burt Lancaster, Lawrence Olivier... Anthony Quinn. All yes. those would have been good, actually. Edward G. Robinson. Ah, Shea. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to do it, Shea. That would have been different. Like Paul Schofield, George C. Scott, and here's the one that I thought was pretty odd, Danny Thomas. <laughs> I never thought of Danny Thomas as a mob boss. I uh, can see almost everybody else there is one, though. Yes, but you know who Coppola personally turned down who wanted the job? Orson Welles. Well, that makes sense. He, he was another person they probably told him, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, he's just cranky and uh, will difficult. upset things. And when they pick Marlon over Orson, you can tell that <laughs> Orson was uh, He was on the better. bad boy list. He was. He felt bad about turning him down, so Coppola offered him the Colonel Kurtz job in Apocalypse Now, the head uh, colonel. Mm. But Wells turned that down. And uh, who got that job? That was Marlon Brando again. again. Yes, so he did that. So yeah, he, and he caused a lot of problems on sets. Yeah, uh, he he was difficult. Yeah, I don't know if it was because they were method actors; they had to get in this yeah. role it or just, something. You get or? so full of yourself. We know from personal firsthand that uh, Orson was awful uh, doing just a commercial. He only do one take in the in the booth, <laughs> and then would walk away. You know, no matter how bad he was, that'll do. He said, "I'm doing this in protest as it is." Yes. Yeah, we actually have some of those uh, outtakes from. Oh, we do. Some don't of we? those commercials. I for- oh, he did. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, he was so full of himself. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. You know, he's a very talented guy. Yeah, but. Danny Thomas has... has <laughs> make room for Danny. Wait, make room for Vito. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right, I have a quote to finish up with after your next question. <laughs> okay, Marsha, one last food question for today to top things off, and it's a sweet treat. The <laughs> breakfast Danish wasn't originally from Denmark. Where was it from? Uh, it was from, Bob, Hong Kong. <laughs> no, no, a nearby country. Well, not really nearby, actually. I don't know, France? No, Denmark's most famous food export actually came from Austria. Okay. Because in the 19th century, Danish bakers went on strike. Oh. And their employers hired cheaper bakers from Vienna. And the Austrian bakers mm. had this sweet treat, which was a folded pastry filled with cream jam or chocolate. Oh. And it was a big hit with the Danes. And the Danish was born, <laughs> even though it's from Austria. Austria they still has... call it Danish. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I didn't so sometimes know cultures turn something into something popular, but it came from somewhere else. Like the Swedish meatball There's... from last week, that's right? That's right. Yeah, All same right. kind of thing. Where was that from? <laughs> Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right, Bob. I'm going to finish up with a quote from author Albert Pike. What we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others and the world remains and is immortal. In other words, don't be selfish. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be forgotten if you're selfish. It's, uh, yeah. Is that the message there? I think that's it, Bob. Oh, okay. Die, it dies with you if you only think of yourself. Okay. Well, Marcia, let me be generous. Would you like to wrap up the show? 
No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess you that's... A, you have a spiel down. <laughs> I'll just say, yeah, thanks for coming by. Well, that's it for today. <laughs> I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia right here on The, the Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.